0: You're listening to Masters of Digital Transformation, brought to you by AIM 10X and hosted by Tony Saldana.
1: Hey, welcome to Masters of Digital Transformation, the podcast that's been designed for business leaders, learning from masters who've devoted their entire lives to disrupting their industries. And my name is Tony Saldana. And each episode, we bring you stories stories about top challenges on digital transformation, especially in planning, and stories to keep you ahead of competition. I have been particularly looking forward to this episode because of my guest today, Chakri Gotemukala, who's the co-founder and CEO of O9 Solutions. Welcome, Chakri. Thanks, Tony. How are you doing? very well very well and for our listeners chakri is on a mission to enable digital age ibp capabilities across all global companies and chakri you and i kind of go back a while but before co-founding 09 you had a 10-year career at i2 technologies where of course you played a variety of roles spanning product strategy sales and marketing industry solutions and consulting And then, of course, prior to that, your studies, a Bachelor of Engineering from the Indian Institute of Technology in Madras, and then, of course, the uh, Master's from the University of California in Los Angeles. And uh, Chakri, you and I first met (laughs) while I was still at Procter & Gamble, and I was looking for really disruptive solutions in supply chain, and I was really impressed by some of the capabilities that you and your team have developed. And for our listeners, though, I want to start on a more personal side. I want them to understand how this global industry leader now came all the way from what is now called Chennai, previously Madras, uh, the IIT organization there, into
0: 09 here. That's a long story. Let me see how I can condense that a little (laughs) bit, right? Yeah, 09... We are on a mission to drive digital transformation of planning and decision making in global corporations. We think it's a very sacred mission, a lot of value creation opportunity, but also global supply chains, as you know, are the biggest consumers of the earth's resources. So improving that, moving the needle there a little bit has huge implications. We are on a mission to bring the best technology, the best capabilities to transform decision making. And so how that came about after the education, as you pointed out, I started my career at I2 solving complex supply chain problems at global companies. Uh And there's a lot of lessons learned there with first generation technology. So Uh about 10 years back after I left I2 and I was thinking about the problems that remained to be solved, supply chains were becoming more complex, globalization, changes in demand patterns, complexity and volatility was growing. So the kind of solutions that we are talking about had become much more important than ever. Right. And there was a lot of lessons learned and what had worked and what had not worked. And there were new technologies that were coming to the forefront that were not available before. Right. Yeah. Big data, analytics, AI, machine learning, massive in-memory computation. So there's a bunch of things that were coming together. And I've always been a product person at heart. So I can see business problems. I'm not as good a sales guy, but I'm really good at product. So I've learned other skills along the way. And along with Sanjeev, who was a mentor of mine yeah. at I2, yeah. we saw opportunity to go create a really game-changing platform that solves a big problem in enterprises. Yeah. So we got back together and founded O9 and glad to see that our vision is now taking traction in the market in terms of the adoption of the platform by global companies, big retailers like Walmart and Starbucks to yeah. big yeah. CPG companies, yeah. the Nestle's and Kraft Heinz and companies across the supply chain. Yeah, I, I keep saying that you guys at O9 are
1: punching way above your weight and, and there's no knock yes. on your weight, but for a company that's been around only a few years. I've had the opportunity to speak to some of your clients and clearly you guys have struck a chord. I know you personally spend a lot of time with your clients, speaking with CEOs and trying to understand what is it that they worry about. You, I know have been the explainer in many ways because they have this issue of the promise of digital transformation and they feel the reality They know they need to disrupt, but sometimes it's just a challenge. The gap is too big. So let me start by having you represent the voice of your
0: customers. What are you hearing from them? Great question. I think first, all the boards have put a lot of pressure on CEOs to drive digital transformation. Digital first operating models, the Amazons, the Ubers, and the inherent advantages those operating models have. And then they're asking the traditional operating models to say, okay, what are you guys going to do to get those kind of advantages into your business model? And it's a big challenge, obviously, because the traditional operating models have been operating in a traditional way with traditional DNA for a long time, and they don't have the inherent structural advantages that a digital first operating model that an Amazon or an Uber or, or the new companies that are emerging have. So there is a pressure on one side from boards to drive transformation, there is practical problems that inherently exist in structural operating models. Yeah. And they're trying to transform. So there's really hunger for how to make it happen. So let me peel the onion a little bit there.
1: To yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. It, yeah, please. Yeah. Right?
0: So if I think of digital transformation use cases in the market right now, there's a few core ideas that are out there. For example, everyone is trying to figure out how to drive consumer and customer engagement, uh-huh. uh, digital. Uh-huh. So if you take companies that theme. we work with, uh, yes. Starbucks has you know a digital app, more and more people order before they go to the store, but now they have a lot of information about each individual consumer, Exactly. Right? So obviously Amazon has had that forever, but uh-huh. the traditional companies are now looking to how to drive digital consumer engagement, yeah. not just as a way of entering and getting orders, but really because I have a lot more data now about the consumer. Right. Oh, absolutely. But companies further upstream in the supply chain, if I'm a semiconductor supplier supplying to automotive or high tech OEMs, if I'm selling B2B, what does digital transformation mean? What does customer engagement mean? So people are asking the questions and we have some developing thoughts there. Yeah. But the key point is there's more real time data available about the consumer. Exactly. People are talking about digital transformation of products. So whether you're selling toothbrushes or you're selling tires, Bridgestone yes. tires is a customer of ours. Yes, yes. They're all trying to put sensors or technology yes. so that they can know where the issues are developing, when replenishment is required, things like yes. that. Yeah. So that is bringing rise to not just data, but potentially change in business models. A lot of people are thinking about subscription models for their yeah. products yeah. instead of selling uh, products, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's the second pillar. So consumer yes. engagement, product yes. transformation. But both of them are now new sources of data as well. The third thing that we are seeing is automation of execution, what I would call execution processes. Exactly. And a lot of times companies did not have visibility into what was going on in the factory or the warehouses. What is the capabilities? What are the constraints? If the data is real time, you can figure out what the capabilities are and the constraints are in real time. So basically, we are seeing new sources of data emerging from customer engagement, from product transformation, operations automation. Yeah. But the biggest frustration that I see executives have is business planning meetings, yeah. these executives, and they're yeah. like, hey, missing the forecast.
1: Exactly. The plan
0: was 100 and we are forecast is coming out to be 80. Yeah, Why? Why yeah. didn't we know earlier? Uh, yeah. Why is there excess inventory building up? Why didn't that product sell enough? Why did we sell more of that? And why didn't yeah. we know earlier? All the same classic problems that always existed in planning and decision-making. And so that's where the dichotomy I see, especially the traditional operating model companies, right? These business plan review meetings are extremely painful with a lot of friction. Let's put it mildly between sales and supply chain and product teams and the executives. Yeah. And then on the other side, there's a promise of this real-time data coming in from all sides. And that bridge has to be crossed, so to speak, in their minds. How do we transform this to that?
1: Yeah. And what I find interesting, Chakri, is that this issue of how do you transform while running your business has always been there. If you were a horse carriage company and you had to figure out how to get into the automobile business in 1900, this was the same issue. But in some ways, that issue has become a little more complicated and urgent because now CEOs, as you correctly point out, they know exactly what parts of their business they need to transform. You already pointed to them, consumer, product technology, internal business operations, but that doesn't make the task any easier because they know what they want to do, but they're still frustrated because the day-to-day kind of keeps them away. So I want to ask you, putting on your own iron position, how can you help them bridge this gap?
0: That's a great question. I think there's so many buzzwords out there yeah. you know this technology, that technology. So fundamentally, as a business person we need to ask the question how does it drive value and where is the value leaking? Exactly. And if we take that approach, the answers start falling out and help us prioritize. So let me give you some perspective So, when we look at O9, O9's role is what I would call as the digital brain of the enterprise, right? Okay. So we are all about transforming the decision-making of the enterprise. Okay. And the decision-making is driven by the planning processes of the enterprise, right? Okay. So there are decisions in sales, there are decisions in supply chain, decisions related to new products and marketing. And supply chain is, of course, about aligning the end-to-end supply chain to meet the right. demand. But those decisions and transforming how those decisions ought to be made is where our focus is. Any business has to make those decisions. What is now different is digital technologies are able to get me more real time data, whether it's Mm -hmm. customer or operations to feed that decision-making process. Mm -hmm. And so in that context, how do I re-engineer the decision-making and the planning processes is the key. So let's first go back to where is the value leaking then? One of the key areas, one of the big frictions in planning and decision-making is why couldn't we know that earlier? So why did we Mm -hmm. miss that forecast? Why did that product sell more or less? In reality, by the time we asked that question in the business plan meeting, there were leading indicators out there that would have told us that happened because product was delayed or- in hindsight. uh, Something changed at the store that caused it. Well, why didn't we know that earlier? Why couldn't we have incorporated that into the planning process to make the decision?
1: It it sounds like, When you talk about the digital brain, there is an element to this where part of the value that you're providing is in helping companies do what I call using forward-looking real-time information while they're driving their car as opposed to looking at the rearview mirror at what happened in the past. Before we actually even get to the smartness of the brain, it sounds like At least a large part of the value here is in the timing of the information. Is that correct?
0: That's a great way to think about it. Basically, the way I would characterize it is how do I understand leading indicators, Mm. so to speak, of demand, right? Mm. So most companies, if you think of it, today forecast their demand based on what they shipped in the past. It's a historic backward-looking way of looking at it. But things are so dynamic, there are things that are happening in the market That if I know earlier, changes in demographics, changes in weather, changes in consumer conditions, all of those are leading indicators of demand. Today, we use those to explain the numbers after the fact. But if you understand those upfront, then how do I incorporate that? And what we are finding is that when we talk to these companies, it's not that the the data does not exist. The data exists in different functions and departments. Marketing has data about consumer preferences that they're collecting through social media. Yes, uh, yes, yes. The sales teams that are selling through retail have a lot of information about what the retailer thinks about our product, what's happening in the assortment, what's happening in the store, if I'm a CPG company, right? So the, the data islands exist, but the data is not being connected. So what we are saying is one of the key capabilities of the digital brain, the next generation yeah. planning system is yeah. a real strong market knowledge model right Right. so it's not about just data data has to be converted into knowledge that's how the brain works right yeah Yeah.
1: (laughs) and so clearly it sounds like one way in which the digital brain helps is in terms of leading indicators are there other ways in which the digital brain construct can help
0: yeah so the basic input that is required the market knowledge That knowledge has to be applied to the critical decision-making processes. So once I have the market knowledge that tells me what's going on with respect to this category, in this region, by this channel, etc., how do I use that to plan and make decisions? And one of the lifebloods of any planning process is the forecast. That's right. right. <laughs> and forecasting is where a lot of energy is spent in most companies. Yeah. And as you know, Tony, there's a monthly cycles and yes. everyone has a yes. perspective on the forecast. And that's the fundamental area that there's a lot of transformation that we are seeing. Yeah. AI and machine learning have a lot of potential to take this leading indicator data yeah. and create an unbiased view of the forecast with lesser effort. Yeah. So that then management discussion can focus not on the number, but more on the discussion about how to address the risks and opportunities versus fighting about the numbers.
1: Absolutely.
0: The biggest change
1: that I think come along with data has been that particular focus on the decisions yeah. to make out of this. Now, you talked about a couple of companies, and, and I love to hear about use cases. So you know, if you wouldn't mind, could you share a few examples of how companies are bringing this construct of a digital brain to life?
0: That's great. So I think there's a few more use cases, but let me go back to the first one that we talked about. When we talk about leading indicators, what kind of data? And it really depends on the category, of course. So if I take consumer products, leading indicators of demand are broadly size drivers Mm -hmm. and share drivers, which are my share of that category, which is my product, my pricing, my promotions. Relative to the competitors in that. So we are able to now look outside the enterprise for a lot of this data. If you take tires, for example, we're uh-huh. working with tire companies. Traditionally, they've always been forecast based on shipments. Okay. Right? But now if you look outside in, there's a lot of data that's available by each zip code on how many cars of what age of what make are on the road today. That's available publicly. What is my forecast going to be in in Austin, where I live, where there's a lot more Priuses versus Dallas, which has a lot more SUVs. There you go. There's a difference in forecast, in assortment. So that's an example, right? Similarly, it might look simple, but Starbucks is a pretty complex operation. And every day, the demand at a Starbucks store is dependent upon... What's happening locally, right? Local yeah. weather, yeah, events yeah. around the store, traffic conditions, football events going on that increase yes. traffic into the store. Yeah. That has huge impact. So yeah. all the data is out there. It's a question of how do I ingest different data sources, getting that into the model, yeah. connecting the dots yeah. and letting the algorithms then figure out how to drive the forecasts and which ones are more important, which ones are less important.
1: Yeah, those are very relatable examples, <laughs> because we all have to kind of deal with tires and, and, and coffee. And as you said, these were just some of the use cases. I'm sure there are several. Let me go back a little bit. What other use cases exist?
0: That's a great question. Once you have the forecast, then the question is, what do you do with the forecast? And let's break it down to two sides. One, I would call a commercial side of the equation. And the other is the supply chain side of the equation. On the commercial side, the decisions that you have to make are Mm. around how do I drive various initiatives, whether Mm. it's new product initiatives, marketing initiatives, Mm. pricing initiatives to hit my revenue targets, Mm -hmm. right? And the decisions are about allocating my resources and what Mm. initiatives to run. And that's really the commercial plan. And we see a lot of challenges there because w- without this kind of data about what is really driving demand, most mm-hmm. of those decisions are being made based on tribal knowledge and last year, right? Yeah. What worked, what did not work? Uh, yeah. So the institutional knowledge and the market knowledge is not informing those decisions. Correct. Yes. So that's a big area of transformation, what we mm-hmm. call commercial planning and gap closure on a weekly, monthly basis. Mm-hmm. It's not just about creating a commercial plan for the next year, yeah. And we sit back and execute. How yeah. do I fine tune it? What is working? What is not? Where yeah. are the gaps emerging? Where are the yeah. conditions changed? Yeah. And what do I need to hit my plan on a weekly, monthly basis? That's yeah. what we call gap closure. Okay. And there's a lot of executive interest on in how to use this kind of market data and knowledge mm-hmm. and AI and analytics mm. to inform my commercial planning, revenue planning and gap closure activities. So working with sales and marketing organizations, chief revenue officers of big CPG companies, industrial manufacturing companies to transform that process is a core area.
1: That's huge. That's what I would use very technical terms to call a hairy problem. But let's go back to real life cases. We always like to hear about real life examples. So what do you see companies doing to use data and analytics in that area of gap closure?
0: If I think about how revenue plans are created in companies today, right? They huh. create a revenue plan for next year. Yeah. Typically it's a big planning process yeah. and investments are being made in new products, marketing, trade promotions, the types of investment or demand driving initiatives. Right. Should I invest more in U.S. versus in Europe right. or within the U.S., which region should I invest in? There's Should I invest more in this channel versus this channel? So it's a multidimensional, complex decision-making problem. And today, all of that's being done with tribal knowledge. Last year, we did this, plus X (laughs) percent. So that's where I think what we are doing is two things. How do I really drive analytics? Hmm. where Now the analytics can inform what was the effectiveness of various initiatives on demand. Hmm. And now, because we're able to collect all the data with respect to what happened in the market, what actions did we take? And correlate that with point of sale data, shipment data, mm-hmm. we are able to figure out the incremental impact. And that's a very important word. Most people deal with averages. Yes, really, the, exactly. the whole idea should be about what is the incremental impact, yeah,
1: the delta, what's changed,
0: of, of exactly. investment yes, on, yes, yes. on demand. And that's what the algorithms are able to figure out. Mm-hmm. Now, armed with that, then I can basically reimagine my commercial planning process mm-hmm. to say what is the optimal mix of investment across all these multi-dimensional problem of different growth drivers of demand, mm. different mm. channels, different regions to get the, the maximum bang for the buck that I'm investing. But more importantly, on a continuous basis, because the market assumptions are going to change. What you had assumed is not going to pan out. How do I synchronize these things by monitoring what's going on in the market and readjusting the plans also in real time. So transforming that planning process with analytics, but also by bringing fact-based decision-making into where the gaps are happening.
1: And I was talking to Chris Tyus a couple of episodes ago, but you know, companies that rely on promotions or seasonality or creating buzz like them or Pepsi would be examples of where something like this would be useful?
0: CPG, consumer products companies, it's where the, there's a lot of awareness of it right now, whether it is in companies like Nestle and Pepsi and pretty much any product that is being sold to consumers. Mm. But it's actually very important even in upstream suppliers. So for example, we're working with a lot of high-tech suppliers, of semiconductor suppliers, of automotive parts to manufacturers, right? Mm. So in their business planning process, their commercial planning, revenue is driven by two things. One is existing components, but also new components that I want to get into the new products that the OEMs are developing. A lot of the resource allocation decisions are related to what new products to bring to market, how to allocate R&D resources, how to allocate my technical resources to ensure my product is getting designed into the OEM's products, right? So that's moving the lever significantly. So in every business, there is a big commercial planning and revenue planning opportunity. Uh, the, The resources could be Whether it is new product R&D resources, it could be marketing resources, it could be trade promotion resources. But fundamentally, the principles that we are talking about apply for every company across the supply chain.
1: Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Chakri, when when you and I were speaking the other day, you mentioned something really interesting, a, a concept that made me really think about this, because you were talking about how there are two parts of the human brain, for example that there may be two parts of an enterprise's brain as well, a supply brain and a demand brain. And then you know what you can do to make sure that the two brains are working together. So could you talk a little more about that? I found that fascinating.
0: That's a great point. I think the way enterprises operate today, it's not just two brains. There's a demand brain and a supply brain, one brain controlling the left arm and one brain controlling the right arm. And I'm expected to play a competitive sport (laughs) where I had to hit the ball with both arms and it's a big challenge and then there's also what I call the reasoning brain and then the fast response brain that exists in humans when there's fear is a fast response brain that takes over versus the more deliberate part of the brain so there's a lot of analogies there but let's start with the first one I think siloed planning has been just the norm in variety of companies because of technology limitations in the past yeah. So most organizations had commercial planning decisions that are being done, yeah. and they would toss over the plans to supply chain and saying, hey, this is what we're going to sell. This is the forecast supply chain, go make it happen. Okay. And so there were huge problems there because the supply chain had to scramble yeah. to get the supply to meet the demand. Exactly. And often the demand did not materialize excess inventory or a lot of costs in terms of expedites and things that would have been spent on the supply chain side and the friction between demand and supply. But imagine a situation where before you make the decision, the demand side scenarios can be evaluated by the supply chain for feasibility and incrementality, incrementality in cost, before we finalize the plan. So the whole idea here is the demand is not just one number, so to speak. The demand can be 100 or it can be 150 or 200, depending on what commercial actions I take. I can invest more. You I can go. change price differently. Yeah. And that's that's a big value driver as well.
1: Okay, got it. I'm going to kind of flip back and forth a little bit. You've mentioned how this construct goes across industry. Does it get complicated when you're talking about this supply and demand brain in, let's say, an upstream auto supplier company as opposed to a cpg company or is it the same problem
0: i think the the fundamentals of the problem are there for both companies it's the degrees of freedom and the levers that you have to play with that are different so for example okay if i'm in a cpg company i have a lot more levers to play with because i am able to use my marketing and sales levers a lot more to shape the demand that's what amazon does really well most consumer products companies are trying to do that but if I'm an auto supplier in the back end, my demand is a function of what the OEM will give me as orders eventually, because based on the cars that they're going to build. So I don't have as many degrees of freedom there in influencing demand. It's more about being responsive on the supply chain. But even there, what we're seeing is the OEMs give pretty bad signals to the suppliers
1: yeah, yeah. because
0: all the liability is being carried by the supplier. So the suppliers yeah. are trying to figure out how to get smarter yeah. about triangulating with other data sources to say, okay, what is the real demand signal? How many cars is Ford going to sell? If trucks are going to sell a lot more, then probably small cars are going to sell less. Yeah. Demand for both cannot be going up as much, yes, right? Yes. So there's a lot of triangulation mechanisms that the suppliers are applying to the demand, whereas in consumer products, there's a lot of ability to shape the demand. got right? it. Got but it. supply chain side, both of them have complexities. They have deep supply chains with multiple yeah, suppliers, yeah. And both of them have to deal with those. Yeah, yeah. So now that makes I think sense. the problem is different a little bit, but in some senses, it's similar.
1: When you look at it from a data standpoint, I guess they're just different drivers. And then of course, once you kind of understand the drivers and the data itself, then you get into an area that again, you and I talked a little about the other day, which is execution. In some ways, execution is everything in today's world, isn't it? Yes. Because when your competitor is more of a software company than a manufacturing company in the sense that they're using data and agility, almost like a software company to run their organization, then that becomes challenging. I want to kind of draw from you, what does it take for every company to eventually become a data company?
0: I think, Tony, that is the heart of the question, quite frankly. No one has the perfect answers on how things are going to evolve. So if you think of the digital first, companies, yeah. they are releasing technology capabilities, Amazon or Uber, they, they release a feature on the website or how to engage with the customer. And that transforms immediately what data they get and how to run yeah. the business. Yeah. And it's happening in the matter of weeks. They don't think about timeframes of years. Yes, uh, of course. Whereas if I work with most traditional operating model companies, yeah. they have been in this mindset of, five-year transformations. <laughs> you know, there, there was an ERP implementation <clears> of uh, a German ERP, I won't name uh, which it is, of course, but it took 10 years to implement that and it's not been fully rolled out. Yeah. It's just yeah. mind-boggling.
1: And it's not just the, the data piece, but some of these people that come from Silicon Valley, they're used to a different cycle time and agility. Mm-hmm. And, and is that part of what you're seeing in companies?
0: I think it's not about this data or that data, It's about really getting a mindset of speed. And I think that is the number one thing that I would advise CXOs. Think like a technology company, which means rapid prototyping of capabilities. You don't know all the answers, but don't think of it as a two-year transformation. Let's put an AI ML model, see where it is, figure out what data is missing, prototype it, rapidly roll it out. That whole notion of iterative prototyping and rollout in a much more agile fashion is the mindset that I would like to see more of the traditional operating models adopt. I think that is the key. The details of which data, how to change this, how to change that, those can be figured out. I think the biggest constraint is that traditional mindset, that it takes three to five years to make any change happen. That's so true.
1: I'm going to pivot, as they say in Silicon Valley. (laughs) One of my favorite questions is, before we conclude, Chakri, what's your advice to our listeners?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of people out there, right? So yes, yes, if yes, I yes, think yes. about my personal story, yeah. okay, I can talk to entrepreneurs in one way. Yeah. But I think the biggest change agents are people inside those traditional companies yes. that I'm talking about, upper and middle layers of management. Correct. They have a lot of potential to drive change. Correct. I'd like to provide some thoughts on how they can become bigger change agents. That'd be great, uh, yeah. So the CXO minus one or two levels. CXO yeah. minus one or two, because I think that's where... This could be directors, VPs of planning, and they have to break these silos and right. they have to make things happen. Yeah. So I would mm. ask them to be open-minded in terms of receptive to new ideas. Don't be okay. afraid. I think that people who go up to the next level in the next coming years are really yeah. people who can see the vision and break through all the yeah. traditional constraints that have existed in traditional operating yeah. models and make things yeah. happen. So my biggest piece of advice would be to those, as you called X minus one, or X minus two in the CXO layers to figure out what the possibilities are and be change agents within your company, be fearless. And I think the ones who are fearless and who can make change happen are the ones who are going to become the CXOs of the future.
1: There you go. Hey, no better advice than be bold and use each of these opportunities and challenges as an indication for leadership. Chakri, that is absolutely fantastic advice. And I want to thank you for joining us on our episode. I learned a lot from you, as always is the case. But I think your unique blend of obviously hands-on experience and industry perspectives makes this a very, very fun opportunity to chat. So thank you very much for joining us today.
0: Thanks, Tony. And thanks for your friendship, mentorship over time. Really appreciate it. and, And great discussion as well today.
1: You're very, very welcome. My pleasure. And to all of our listeners out there, make sure you subscribe to our show to keep getting new updates. And until next time, remember, don't just implement planning, redefine it.
0: Thank you for listening to Masters of Digital Transformation. For more information, be sure to check out www.09solutions.com slash aim10x.